Hello, and welcome to Criticism is Dead, a weekly culture podcast about what we're watching and what it all means, if it means anything at all. I'm Pelin Keskin Liu, a producer and writer. I'm Jenny Ji Zhang, a culture writer and critic. So this week, we're going to be talking about Rebecca, which can be found on Netflix, and On the Rocks, which can be found on Apple TV+. Uh, these are two films about marriage. They're obviously very different, mm-hmm. so... <laughs> Which of the two did you watch, Jenny? I will be talking about Rebecca this week, and you're going to take on On the Rocks. So yeah, Rebecca, it is what maybe a lot of people are going to see, just because it's going to be splashed up on your Netflix homepage for the next couple of weeks, I think. Oh, yeah. It is a film based off of this uh, 1938 gothic romance novel. It's about this young woman who finds herself as very sort of quickly engaged to and married to this uh, wealthy widower who is played by Army Hammer and the young woman is played by Lily James. It quickly goes, spins off the rails and becomes sort of like a, a psychological drama thriller type thing where, you know, she's always haunted by this this idea that this, this man loves his ex-wife, his dead ex-wife, um, and everyone in the household, this huge estate. Uh, is still missing the dead ex-wife who died under myst- mysterious circumstances. So it's that, that that's the whole kind of summary. Um, yeah, it was. I don't. I don't know what. How would you describe it, Pellin, in a word? What was your opinion of it? It's a telenovela, is what I thought, honestly. <laughs> um, so I grew up on Turk, the Turkish telenovela, where it's like a uh, girl from poor family or girl with poor background finds rich man is despised by all the females in said man's family and then like that's that's the whole engine of the plot but i i don't know i i i thought it was um i must preface this by saying i have not read the book by uh i think it's daphne du maurier and then um i've i've not read the book and i've not seen the film by hitchcock which i think is important in this context um but yeah that 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 was my first impression of it and then as the film progressed I think I got more and more annoyed what about you yeah um probably same or I didn't go in with really high expectations just because I had been hearing some uh not super positive things about it within you know critic circles reviews and stuff um, you're right that the the Hitchcock version of this in 1940, that is like very important to how people are sort of watching this, uh, receiving it, interpreting it, and, and talking about it, um, which, you know, I have not seen that film either. I will, you know, cop up to that also. Um, but I think it's one of those things where I, I don't like to compare films necessarily to previous versions, but from what I'm reading and seeing... It's kind of impossible not to. Um, Interesting. Yeah, people are kind of saying like, you know, you cannot really separate the two. There's so much of this that is sort of drawn from the 1940 version that it's, it's really a shame because I think that's it's gonna be its legacy essentially. It's it's just gonna be like a comparison with the earlier uh, superior version eminent people's minds. Well, that's the, that's the, uh, that's the thing that you have to kind of relinquish. If you're make if you're remaking a film, you have to understand that that is a given that your <laughs> film will be compared to the previous version. Um, especially yeah. if it's, if it's fucking Hitchcock that did it. Are you kidding me? Right. Like, I mean, so here's the thing. I also, maybe I just wanted to walk into it completely blind. I didn't research anything about it. I later found out that the book is really dark and it's obviously yeah. it's a Hitchcock film. So it's, 
it is gonna be dark it's like capital g gothic right and nothing about this film is dark like i was not like oh fuck what's gonna happen at any point Um, yeah that's like sort of i I think one of the main critiques of it is you know for a, a thing that is so obviously um richly produced like it's sumptuously shot like they there are all the there there's so much like saturated colors and all of these sort of expensive locations but it sort of does not really come off as a you know successful gothic you know picture which is like the main thing about gothic pieces is there's just like this overwhelming sense of you know dread and suspense and just that very atmospheric kind of thing that that goes along with the genre yeah so this it's it's very much like you know it knows what it's supposed to be it's like going through the motions of you know at first it's a romance then it's like psychological drama it's mystery it becomes like a court drama at one point it even goes a little bit into like a heist film kind of thing yeah but it's just so sort of unmotivated and it's yeah i I don't know it just comes across really really flat and it's missing a lot of the the sort of flair that i think you could expect from either hitchcock film or just like any classic example of like gothic fiction it seemed to be it seems to be kind of uh watching its foot its own footsteps so mm-hmm. much that it didn't look up to see where it was going that that's just kind of what it felt like it was like so this part of the plot happens and then this part of the plot happens but at no point i guess was the director like oh um i need to direct my actors so that there's actually chemistry i need to make sure that this feels thematically solid in terms of uh, what, what you know obviously the, what the novel and then also what the first film was trying to do i've got to say i wasn't completely furious at it um it didn't feel like the worst film i've ever seen um, no not at all it's fine it sort of like falls into this this thing that netflix has been doing quite a lot recently where it's it's a high-ish budget production or what looks like a high budget production that somehow becomes pretty good like background watching just bringing up like rachel syme she wrote a review for the new yorker um where she talked about rebecca and compared it to things like emily in paris like another netflix production that was like this is a quote from her review which like if they make a production look good enough the viewers will follow and that seems to be you know one direction that netflix is going with some of their original productions lately um, they just need to throw some money at it, make something good enough to put on in the background, and then suddenly they, they can say, like, you know, we got half the population of the entire world watching this thing. So, I mean, all those numbers are disingenuous. Like, even this, these kind of attempts to create this, like, content yeah, that is, like, mostly meant for background viewing or, like, who fucking cares if it's good or not, that's, like, somewhat disingenuous or at least like cynical on on their part honestly like bar maybe a handful of shows i never come to netflix being like oh i'm here for the good shit (laughs) like it's just (laughs) it's just mid it's just mid and i've accepted that and i think everyone kind of knows that um yeah and that's what they you know that's the the sort of deal they get for like yeah capturing this this hugest part of the the market share and like attention economy yeah this is what they can do this is their essentially their reward for that yeah yeah this is a netflix film (laughs) like rebecca (laughs) is a netflix film and they tried with like you know the novel and the prestige of hitchcock i guess um to to spin it into something shiny and new um it's not good though 
So that's the problem. It's it's not good, but again, it's not it's not terrible. Yeah. Um, it's watchable, which is I guess the word for it. Yes. Um. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that you know it's it's bad directing paired with bad acting. Um. Sorry, Army and Lily. I think, like Army Hammer is one thing. I know that I know that we can get into that in a little bit, but I actually thought Lily James was worse. Um. But I I I really thought that she could have gotten stuck into that and she didn't and the one standout in in acting was uh the the woman who played danvers um my queen kristen, yeah. yeah kristen Stott thomas <laughs> she was she was really great she is probably the the highlight um in terms of the whole film um yeah. but, but otherwise it was very much sort of like a you know here's this this netflix netflix check like uh take it and and be gone and i sure fine i can if not respect that, like whatever, like it it happens. No, I agree. I think Kristen Scott Thomas was was um, the best thing about this film. She is what everyone thinks all British women are like, basically just sauntering around, looking very graceful with the stiff upper lip and the you know arch of the brow. I love her. I always I always will. But um, it would be remiss of us not to talk about the fantastic roasting of Army Hammer that Angelica Jade Bastian uh, wrote in her review for Vulture. Give me more of that, man. Poor, poor Army Hammer, who told him the lie that being white, tall, and rich looking was enough to establish a career in Hollywood. Bang. Um, <laughs> ouch. Well, it's true. <laughs> it's true. I think I think there's a lot of him going around. There's plenty of him going around um, in Hollywood. So it's not necessarily completely siloed to him. Um, yeah, humble, th- humble these actors, man. Uh, so that was Rebecca. Um, and for you, Pellin, tell me about On the Rocks. So my pick this week was On the Rocks, which is uh, found on Apple TV+. Plus. It is Sofia Coppola's latest film. So in terms of who it's starring, it's got Bill Murray, Rashida Jones, Marlon Wyans, uh, and also Jenny Slate, which no one seems to mention, but she's great. So I'm mentioning her. It is a film about marriage. It is a film about uh, father-daughter relationship. So Bill Murray plays a father. Rashida Jones plays a daughter. In terms of a TLDR, Rashida Jones is veering on 40, has mother of two kids, is trying to write a book. Her husband is out doing like tech startup things, like busy all the time. And then she gets really suspicious that he is maybe cheating on her. And so she calls up her father, who is like a man about town, art dealer, old New York type um, who flirts with every woman that he sees. And he decides that they should go on a little bit of an escapade to see if the husband, Rashida Jones's husband, is actually cheating on her. What did you, so you watched this film as well, Jenny. Mm-hmm. What did you think about it? I thought it was kind of boring. Right. <laughs> and I, <laughs> yeah, it felt very much kind of like almost like a essentially like background view, like Xanax kind of thing where you can tell kind of like directionally where it's going and then suddenly you know you know the themes and then suddenly they very explicitly tell you what the themes are supposed to be yes and it's like not at all subtle and i'm like is this really is this really like the the kind of film that they wanted to make um it it was just a little bit dull there was uh, honestly there was at one point in the film i think we were like halfway through it where i looked at my husband and he looked at me and we were both like what is going on? 
because we both really enjoy Sofia Coppola. We, and the reason why we enjoy it is because of her stylistic decisions that she makes in almost every film. She is the king of uh, moments of quiet. She's really good at just letting a character sit in a room in silence with no dialogue. Mm-hmm. And that is meant to denote something, which is, you know, usually, especially if she's talking about fame, which she does often, that sometimes fame and being famous is actually really boring and actually kind of pathetic. And that's kind of what she's, what she tries to communicate. This is not a quiet film. There's a lot of talking in this film, maybe too much. I kind of, yeah, it felt like a lot of the dialogue just felt unnecessary, um, it felt like the first draft of her script. I know that sounds really mean, but it's it 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 felt like um it felt like a an episode of a of a Netflix show. Kind of like I guess what you know, Modern Love on Amazon. Oh it felt God. like an episode of that, you know? And that Actually now that you say that, yeah. yes, that's really accurate. And it felt very much like a sort of a Bill Murray vehicle or like a thing where she's like, yeah, you know, the people love Bill Murray. Let's give them Bill Murray and let's give them another extra two doses of Bill Murray. Yeah, I'm over it. Um, I personally do not understand the Bill Murray obsession. I think he is essentially acting as himself in every film. I don't think he's actually ever acted. Um, I'd, I'd go so far as saying that. I guess, I guess like the, the biggest thing is that it felt really off and it was because I was expecting something stylistically and I got something entirely different. It just kind of felt very um, crowbarred themes, which she's not, she doesn't need to do that. She's an intelligent, I consider her an intelligent filmmaker. And this kind of, right, this, and- this kind of felt very um, unsubtle. Um, it felt very, I don't know, it just felt very basic, which... Yeah, I can't believe I'm saying this about Sofia Coppola, man. I would assume normally, I I think she her films like they have a certain like higher regard for their viewers. Um, and so this film, for example, you know, towards the I guess like the there's sort of this climactic monologue that uh, Rashida Jones character delivers to to the father, um, Bill Murray, where literally she like spells out every single theme and parallel yeah. and just like every sort of you know message that's sort of going on tonally like the the, the sort of undercurrent they they bring it out into the open in that way yeah. in a way that is just like so dumb yeah. really like it's yeah. it's like you really think that we're we need you to to spell this out for us like we're toddlers yeah. it, um definitely but- <laughs> i think the dialogue really kind of pissed me off after the first half an hour just the dialogue between um father and daughter between rashida jones and, and bill murray the questions that she was asking him were very asinine like why do men cheat are women not enough and then you know the things that he was saying as a father obviously generational difference uh like men are evolutionarily disposed to to you know having more than one yeah. lover or stuff like that yeah. like it's it's hardwired and yeah it's i think murray's character is definitely supposed to represent this sort of dying breed of um you know older you know white gentleman who is charming everyone is flirts with everyone he can get away with anything um in one scene you know the cop scene where essentially he gets uh he pulls a oh i know your dad yeah um with this this officer who's trying to give him a ticket because he was driving like a fucking anyway yeah, like a maniac but, but the, so which which is um the only scene that i thought was really good honestly in terms of like trying to communicate what it's trying to communicate which is that this man gets away with 
anything dude and he's like he knows everyone he's charming enough to charm the pants off of a cop it also does really well with um the comedy of it all because that is funny it's stupid this is stupid but it's funny because it actually happens but uh, and that, that's what i mean like that the the humor that sofia coppola usually writes is is like that it is multi-layered it's both funny and it's true and it's sad all at the same time which is why i love that scene and it felt like oh yeah that it's reminded me that this is actually made by her and they didn't just slap her name on it yeah it, it, i'm just disappointed yeah it's like a sofia coppola film for normies i'm so annoyed honestly just because i was really looking forward to it and I just had to kind of go back and watch uh, one of my favorites from her, which is Somewhere. And it, it just kind of reminded me of like everything that <laughs> everything that I love about her. And it's just like, oh no, maybe this is just a blip. Uh, so what else has been circulating in culture? Well, for one thing, it's hard to remember, but Jeffrey Tubin, Zoom Dick. Jeffrey Tubin, again, he is a lawyer. He is a CNN and New Yorker contributor. He's sort of a very big uh, legal media guy. Um, he got, I guess, exposed for um, exposing himself. Um, literally like he was masturbating on uh, a call where he was doing an election role play with some other New Yorker big names. Okay. So that was embarrassing. This was on Def- Zoom. Like, you can understand the confusion when this story first broke. That professionally, they were doing a role play of the elections in a professional setting. And then my man had another yeah, Zoom I believe... open where he was trying to bust in that. Right? Is that, am I right? I think that's accurate. Um, Vice had the scoop originally. Yes, Vice. Um, but anyway, that <laughs> Vice was like, Thank "This is guys. cracking knuckles. Uh, this is our area." Yes, very much so. So that was that was Tubin, um, and he then, fired? uh no, he was suspended. Yeah, and then it, it sort of like kicked up this whole cycle of discourse, which is the dreaded oh, word, fuck me. Um, when people were, yeah, which is, I mean, I tried to kind of ignore, you know, the original news and the whole cycle around this anyway but essentially you know somehow people some people were like defending this as like anti-labor like you know what what sort of employer doesn't let their punishes their employee for um like cranking it on a zoom call okay all right and and like other people were taking it as a sign of like cancel culture gone too far or like you know anti-sex work or i i don't know there's this whole sort of like spinning out that happened that was about 10 times more annoying than the original event um and it it sort of reminded me of like what was happening with chris pratt also um and so chris pratt do you want to briefly summarize what went on so chris pratt um i had i struggled a little bit with figuring out who he was because all the chris's blend into one for me but basically on twitter someone had a tweet that said one has to go and they had four different Chris's of Hollywood. I can't be asked to name them all. One of them in... It's like the... Yeah, all the, the Chris's. Like Pine, Chris's, you know? Is like Hemsworth? The... Is, the, is that Chris? Yeah. Hemsworth and Evans yeah. and, so, and Pratt. And then, so Pratt's in the four. And then obviously everyone unanimously pretty much said that Pratt has to go. And that is honestly because he is rumored to be a Republican and also um, just a problematic person in general. And not just like a Republican, but like a probably a, a Trump Trump Republican, right. someone who whose church apparently like they is like 
their their pastor is homophobic. Like he follows a bunch of like right like you know not great right wing people. Um, so basically, what what ended up happening was that he found out, I guess, um, that everyone did not fuck with him at all, and then his Hollywood friends came to his defense in the most but, annoying yeah, way possible by being like solidarity with you. <laughs> I'm going to fucking scream. But yeah, it just, the way that I think the way that especially this summer seems to have um, broken certain types of people's brains is by taking social justice terminology and using it for the dumbest fucking shit. Like um, beating your meat on a Zoom in front of your coworkers or being a ridiculously famous person that people don't like and getting your friends in Hollywood to come to your defense. It's just, it's just all stupid. Right. And again, like the the reactions and defenses and the, the takes and counter takes, those are infinitely more irritating than the actual original things. Like for Chris Pratt, like the, the tweet that supposedly kicked off this whole saga, it was not even like viral by the, you know, the, the sort of, let's say like yeah. 10K, 50K, like up and above like that. It was like a, a mildly, like a yeah. baby viral tweet. It wasn't, it wasn't anything that deserved this kind of outsized attention. I mean, why sort of, well, I mean, there's... Well, here's um, the thing, right? So you know how everyone's like, if I was rich... Um, you wouldn't catch me on Twitter. Like a lot of people say that, but what people fail to understand with celebrity and with actors is that they are extremely anxious about what people think of them, which is the worst possible trait that you can have on social media because you will just Google your own name and uh, get your feelings hurt and then lash out. And then this, this is, I think this is exactly what happened. Honestly, I think big man Chris Pratt, even with his big, big Avengers checks, is not immune to searching his own name and getting his own feelings hurt. Um, but he'll be all right. <laughs> he'll be fine. Right. In- in- incredibly fragile egos. Tubin's going to be fine. He showed Dick on Zoom and he's also going to be fine. And that's the, pro- that's the problem. That's the problem. Um, so, yeah, like both of these stories, it's just a reminder in the words of like New York Times journalist Steve Wesley, he, he has this rule that he goes by. He says like, don't take L's on behalf of someone else currently in the process of L taking. This is just a reminder. Like, yeah, if you see some people lightly ragging on Chris Pratt um, oh, for being man. probably a Trump supporter um, or some people saying, well, I wish that, you know, very prominent media men would not take out their dicks on zoom you you really can just duck out of this this whole discourse and news cycle and that is what we've been watching and consuming recently so if you're watching anything that you think we should check out you can let us know at criticism is dead at gmail.com or you can just add us or dm us um where criticism is dead again on twitter and instagram yeah and uh please tell a friend if you enjoy this otherwise we will see you next week criticism is dead is produced by pen and keskin lu and jenny jijong with help from dan janine Our music is by Rika. Our artwork and design are by Sarah Macias and Andrew.